Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible or find a pew Bible, look up on your phone to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 11 through 17. Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17. And while you're turning, there's a couple announcements. On October 15th, there is the clothing pantry out here at the church. So I encourage you to, if you can help out with that, would be greatly appreciated. See Julie Vocal. Also on the back, there's a uh, sign up on October 8th. There's a fall festival down at Roseland. And if you'd like to go down there with us, uh, there's a sign up sheet at the Welcome Center. You can sign up there as well. There's also a thank you card or a, a, a card for, not a thank you card, for Max and Allie. They're going to get married October 1st. A number of us are, you're bringing in some things to kind of do a house shower for them. There's a card back there at the Welcome Center you can sign um, as well. I know they would appreciate that. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, says this. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for Jesus and for the person of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Lord, thanks for the grace of the church, Lord, that we can gather together freely at the beginning of the week and to worship you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just guide us this morning, that you would teach us from your word, that we would see Jesus, and we would be drawn to love and to compassion, and you would encourage our hearts and teach us from your word. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A number of years ago, this church changed its name from a Baptist church, uh, Northside Baptist, to Cornerstone Church. And when we did that, when this church did that, it created, uh, I think, comfort for some. It created some uh, confusion for others. And it created, though, some clarity uh, at the time of which the direction the church was going in, what the church was. And so what I loved about the name uh, Cornerstone, what I still love about the name Cornerstone, is that when someone asks me, what's your church like? I always will tell them, what is it about? And I'll use Ephesians chapter 2, and it says where it says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And I would say, I always tell people, our church wants to be about Jesus and talking about Jesus and sharing Jesus, the person of Jesus. There's an old hymn that was sung, Jesus, 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 the sweetest name I know. Jesus is the greatest person that ever lived, will ever lived, and continues to live. 
Yaroslav Pelikan, who was a professor at Yale University, wrote this. He said, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It is from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars, and it is by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions pray. Albert Einstein, who was a Jew, who was not a follower of Jesus, but he wrote this and said this about Jesus. He says, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrasemongers, however artful. No man can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. What we normally do, and what I normally do, is I'll take a book, and we looked at Psalms, we looked at Hosea, and we go through a book for a number of weeks. But what we're going to do for a few weeks this fall is we're just going to do, instead of going through a book, we're going to take different pictures of Jesus, just case studies of Jesus, and we're just going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at well, what he did while he was on earth, the person of Jesus, how he interacted, and how he lived, and what we can learn about that. Jesus is God, and Jesus is 100% human. He still is 100% God, and he still is 100% human. He is God in flesh, and he is, the Bible says God is love, so that means Jesus is love. And how, what does love look like? It looks like what Jesus looked like, and how Jesus acted. We live in a culture that is an absolute filled with confusion and absolute chaos about what love is and what love's supposed to look like and how you're supposed to love. And the reality is we all struggle with what does love look like. And after the pandemic, it is an even harder struggle to figure out uh, what love looks like and how to love and what, we're, what is it supposed to be in our lives. And I've always been amazed by Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, when you think of the person of Jesus, it was said this, for to this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And this is the one that always gets me. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus was reviled, when he was persecuted, and the, 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 the way it's written, it's just this continual activity. When Jesus was reviled, he never reviled back. When he was attacked, he never attacked back. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing when we think about our past week and how quickly, when we get ruffled just a little bit, we want to be defensive and react back. Jesus never did that. He never did that. But it says, we have been given this Jesus for our example. We're supposed to be like Christ. He is our example to learn what it means to love. Paul Miller, who wrote a great book called Love Walked Among Us, he said this, we don't even know what's normal anymore. Let me suggest this. The person of Jesus 
is a plumb line to which we may align our lives. He satisfies our hunger for a hero, someone who is both good and strong to change the world. And I thought we would just take his suggestion for the next few weeks and look at the person of Jesus and look at the person of Jesus in various accounts of his interactions as while he was on earth, when he was walking and dealing with people. And I hope and I think what it'll do and I desire it to do for me is it would help us to grow in our love for Jesus and also help us to grow in our ability to love like Jesus, just to let Jesus teach us from his own life as he lived as our example that we're supposed to follow as believers. And Jesus had compassion because love shows compassion. And this first week, we just want to look at this idea of love as compassion and Jesus as his compassion. I just want to look at this scene, talk about the scene of the story. We'll just see Jesus in this story and then just give us some summaries about what we can learn, hopefully, from this story. Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, it says, soon afterwards, his ministry had started. Uh, he was done some miracles. He just got doing a miracle for the centurion's servant in Capernaum, 25 miles north of Nain. And so this whole group of people had been listening to him and following him, and they started to follow him even more. He just healed a man who was greatly sick, and so they're following Jesus down, and it says that there's a huge crowd, crowd with him. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, about 25 miles south of Capernaum where he was, with his disciples and a great crowd that went with him. So probably thousands of people, just this massive, great crowd went with him. And as they drew near to this little town called Nain, which maybe had 500 people in it, the area it's at right now has about 200 people in it, if you were to go over to that area. It's a small little town. As, as he drew near to the gates, as they kind of entered the city, there's just two crowds Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and there was a considerable crowd with them. So there's this great crowd, Jesus is walking, traveling, and then as they're coming into town, there's this another little crowd of considerable size, not as large as the crowd that was with Jesus, but another crowd that was a funeral crowd walking out of the gate. And as they're walking out, these two crowds of people they intersect. The one crowd is a funeral crowd. And every funeral back in those times would have happened about six o'clock at night. They would have worked. And they also would have got done with work, heard about the death, and they always buried them outside the city. So this crowd would have got together. This woman's son, they would have buried him on the same day, just like they do today. He died she laid him on the floor. She dressed him. She waited for people to show up. They picked him up. They started walking. They had professional mourners behind them, making lots of noise, weeping. That's what they did. They were paid to mourn. People in the neighborhood would have said, this is a significant one. It's her only son. Her husband died. So we're going to go and do the virtuous thing. We're going to go with her and walk her out to the graveside. This was the scene that this was going through. And this woman is a widow. And she would have ripped her clothes in grief. She would have started walking out there in front 
of the slab that they were carrying him on. He was probably covered with the cloth. And as, he's, as they're carrying her, she'd ripped her clothes in grief and sorrow. This is not her first rodeo. She'd done this before. Her husband had died. She'd taken this trek. But last time, she held onto her son's hand. She had some security. Nothing was greater for an Israelite woman than to have a son. Because if you had a husband, and if you had a son, then there was protection. He would be able to provide for you financially. There was support. There was help. Now she has none of that. She has lost it all. There's no social security for her. There's no pension. There's no Medicare. There's no government assistance coming. This woman has absolutely nothing. She's lost it all. And this huge crowd walking with Jesus and this considerably other crowd could have been the whole town, maybe 500 people, still not as large. There's two different words for crowds as the one that was with Jesus. They, they come and they meet at the entrance one going the other way, one going the other way. It's loud and noisy. People are wailing and crying. They're, they're, they're talking. And from a human perspective, the potential to do anything in that scene is going to be inconvenient. It's going to be awkward and it'll probably get critiqued. I've been a, done two funerals in the last week, which is unusual for me. But doing two funerals and watching grief and sorrow and trying to get the service right and trying to organize it well so it's respectful for the family, the last thing you want at a funeral is something to go awkward and wrong, to, 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 be, to interrupt the flow, because you want to respect the family. And if it goes awkward or wrong, you know people are going to talk. And if somebody does something, you know it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be critiqued. It's going to be analyzed. And this is the scene that Jesus walks up to. He, he walks up to this, all these people, all this noise. And then it says, let's see what Jesus did. As he says, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man had died. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. When Jesus walked into this scene, what it says Jesus did was he, he saw her. He, he looked at her. And he had compassion. It doesn't say he said to somebody next to him, hey, you see that lady? I got compassion for her. It doesn't say that at all. It said that Jesus, when he saw her, he had compassion on her. How do we know he had compassion on her? How do you see compassion? Luke didn't see it. He wasn't there when he wrote this gospel. Luke, it says, collected this information from other people. He was not an eyewitness. But Luke said he wanted to give a historical account of Jesus' life. So he went out and he talked to people. He saw them and he said, hey, what was Jesus like? What did he do here? Well, tell me your report. And the report that Luke got on this account was, Jesus, you couldn't believe it. There's this massive crowd coming. There was this other crowd of mourners. We get there, and Jesus looked at this woman. He had compassion on her. How do you have compassion by looking and not saying anything? It was in his eyes. People around Jesus saw in something in him 
when all the other crowd was making noise. But Jesus looked at this woman, and he had compassion. The Bible talks about 40 times in the New Testament where Jesus looked at people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion. In Mark 10, 21, it says, Jesus looked at them, and he loved them, to the, to the, and he loved him when the rich young ruler came up all agitated and trying to figure out his struggle. Jesus looked at him, and by his look, he demonstrated that he loved him. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, when he went ashore, he saw yet a crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed they're sick. Jesus looked. That's what love does. Love looks and sees. When you walk into your classroom tomorrow, teachers, what do you see? What are you looking at? All the chaos, all the struggle, all the problems? Or are you looking at souls of people with compassion? When you walk into work tomorrow and you see that guy that just annoys you, what do you look at? What's, what's your look showing? When you walk into your house and the people that are with you and they, they know you, but you pass by them, what do you see? Compassion and love, it looks. And Jesus, by his look, had great compassion for this woman. Lamentations 3 says, my eye affects my heart. The other reason many of us don't want to serve other people is because we don't want to look at them. Because we look, if we look, we want to get involved. If we look at a need in the ministry, we, we might have to be involved. It might cost us something. So we don't want to look. If we really look at our family situation and our, and our, and our friends and really look at their lives, it might cost us to have to do something. So we don't want to look. We don't want to love them. We don't want to show compassion. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus, he looked. When he had all kinds of other places to Jesus, Jesus looked. And not only did he look, it says that he, he stepped in this, this great crowd. And when, verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Which sounds kind of rude. This is a widow who lost her only son. What do you mean, don't weep? But Jesus stepped right in. He, he stepped right in with compassion. But Jesus wasn't being insensitive by stepping in. It was, it was Jesus taking the initiative. That's what love does. That's what Jesus did. That's what compassion does. Love looks, it sees the situation, it, it sees, and then it initiates, and it steps in. And this is what Jesus did. He, he, he stepped in with compassion. He was taking initiative. And he said to her, do not weep, because he knew something. We had the coolest thing happen yesterday. I was at home studying for this. I got a knock at the door, and I walk, out to the, walk upstairs, go to the door, and standing outside are two of the coolest fourth and fifth grade boys I have met in a while. And I open the door, and they say to me, um, we noticed that your grass was a, is a little long. I hadn't had a chance to mow the grass yet. I was studying for this sermon, so I was going to do it later or do it this afternoon. And we noticed that your grass was a little bit long. Would you care if we mowed your grass for free? Uh, we'll even buy the gas for you. I, I looked at them because I don't like to mow my grass, and I said, uh, 
really? And uh, they said, yeah. I said, did your parents know you were out here doing this? And they said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what, go home, ask your dad, uh, tell him where we're at, and then come back here. If he says it's okay, come back here. And so they come back, and I said, they get back here. I said, are you sure? I mean, these are fourth and fifth grade boys. Are you sure that, they, uh, that your dad's okay with this? They said, yeah. He said, you could call him if you want. So I said, okay, let me call him. So I called him up, and I, he said, that, yeah, they can do it. And so I'll I let them mow the first front half of our grass. So they'd take turns doing loops around there and I'd have to go out there and help them a little bit. And I said I'd be out there and watch them. So I helped these guys out there. They did, they did their job. And then they said to me, I'm talking to them as they take their turns. And I said, whose idea is this? And they said it was their idea. And they, had, they said, somebody told us that, to go, but make sure we get a lot of money for doing it. And then he said to me, but that's not why we're doing it. We just like to mow. When you serve without any hidden agenda, it is absolutely freeing. That fourth grader and that fifth grader mowing my yard yesterday, they were the happiest, freest little boys, and I paid them well, and I gave them a body armor and sent them on their way, but they were free. They just wanted to serve. They just wanted to go help. They just wanted to do it. They had no hidden agenda behind them. They stepped in with initiative. This is what Jesus did. He saw them, and he stepped in, and he had compassion on them. There was absolutely no agenda on Jesus' part. He just saw this woman, and he went in and helped them, and he started then to act. Because that's what love does. It sees, it initiates, and then love acts. And Jesus said in verse 14, then he came up and touched the, the buyer. The bearer stood still and he just stopped the whole procession. They had been walking and Jesus kept his eye on the woman. They stopped. And Jesus said to the young man, I, see, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. He was unafraid to be considered unclean. For a Jewish person to touch a dead body would make you ceremonially unclean. And Jesus was not afraid to act. He was not afraid to step in and to touch the body. And in this passage, this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that, Paul, that Luke uses the word Lord to describe Jesus in verse chapter 3. And when the Lord saw her, because he was highlighting that Jesus has a power and authority over death. And Jesus knew what he could do to help this woman out. Jesus saw her. He, he looked, he stepped in, and he started to act. And the whole crowd just absolutely went nuts. And a great, they said, a great prophet has arisen among us. They were just amazed by this because about three miles away from here, 800 years before this, Elisha, the prophet, raised an only son of a widow. And God had not, and they remembered that miracle. And they remembered how great Elisha was. And then there had been hundreds of years of silence from God. And now they see that Jesus is greater than Elisha. He just spoke, and the man rose from the dead. A greater prophet than Elisha has come. Jesus, just the place just erupted with hope. So that's what love does. Jesus brought hope to an absolute desolate 
situation. That's what love and compassion does. Someone said, compassion is your hurt in my heart. What's the summary for us? This should be a, should be a challenge, I think, and a comfort. The challenge for us is this, where Jesus is supposed to be our example. How is your care and compassion? Who are you looking at? Or have you just so buried your life in your phone and on your computer and in your own little world that you're not even seeing people anymore? People who are so hurt, so wounded, and you're just trying to survive your own situation, that you've forgotten to lift up your eyes and see Jesus and say, I gotta look. I gotta initiate. Can't keep waiting for someone to come bail me out. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus initiated it. And then Jesus acted. Love looks and love acts. One commentator said this about this scene. It said, cleanly, said that cleanliness, cleanliness is next to godliness, except where compassion is required. Because if we do what Jesus calls us to do, if we follow the example of Jesus and look and initiate and act, it's going to get really messy. There will be people who critique it. There will be people, there'll be awkward moments. There'll be confusing conversations. There'll be a struggle to step in. There'll be misunderstandings and hurt. It, it will get messy. But when it comes to compassion, that's the, that's the nature of life. That's the nature of what Jesus did. He entered into a very messy situation. And he acted. And Jesus did what Jesus could do. The way Jesus acted was powerful, it was pointed, and it was patient. I mean, Jesus walked up to this, this slab of wood with a dead body on it. And he walked up, said, Stop, don't, don't, don't weep. Not because he's being insensitive, but the tone of his voice when he said that to that woman had to just give instant calm to her. She must have known something good was about ready to happen. And Jesus walked up to it, he touched it, and the boy came to life because Jesus knew he had the authority and power over death. We don't. So I wouldn't walk up to funerals and touch the casket. But you do have the power to do something. And as you look at situations, Jesus did everything in his power to help that woman. He didn't hold back. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to get some people together and we'll, we'll help you out for a while. Jesus did everything in his power, which was his power was to raise somebody from the dead. That's how he looked and acted. When you, when you look and love and look to see needs, are you willing to say, okay, I'm going I'm to look and I'm going to do everything in my power that I can do? It may not be as much as somebody else could do. It may be, not be enough for, for everybody. There was other widows in this area. There's other situations. Jesus didn't heal all of them, but he healed this one. He raised this one from the dead. He did it with all that he could do. He did it very pointed to a specific person, a specific situation, a specific ministry, whatever God calls you to do, or you're looking and seeing. But he did it with great patience. I mean, if it was us, don't you, we would have been, this is an amazing story. Jesus could have said, da-da, this is why I'm here. Let's move on from here. I just raised somebody from the dead. He didn't do that. He spent the next few years walking in the desert, talking to other people, other hurt people, other struggles, 
He's very patient. And he knew that he would have to suffer and die. The challenge for us is how are you sharing care and compassion? Are you looking? Are you loving? Are you acting? Are you doing it with all that you can do? Are you doing it in a pointed way where God would have you to do? And are you just patient to say, I'm just going to just do what I can do. I'll just keep praying. I'll just keep praying. I'll see what God's going to work through. Love well. Show compassion. Follow Jesus' example. That's the challenge. But the comfort is this. The reality is, when you look at this story, all of us are from Nain. Nain means pleasant. It's this pleasant little area, it says in the Bible, in Genesis 49. And in this pleasant little area, there's a widow woman who's lost everything. We're all from Nain. We're all people who look around the world and say, it shouldn't be this hard. I mean, look at this creation we got. Look at, look at all these situations. Look at the things that we have access to. Look at this wonderful world. But why does it seem so hard? Why is it so broken? Why is it such a struggle? It's because we're all from Nain in a broken kind of way. And all of us, in many ways, are following little boards with dead hopes, dead dreams, dead situations where we've thought and prayed and we've watched them just die. And we walk through them in this pleasant land. And we wonder, does anybody see us? Is anybody aware of what I'm going through? Does anybody recognize my marriage situation, my family situation, my kids situation, my life situation? Is, is anybody seeing this? doesn't feel like anybody else is seeing this. Jesus is seeing it. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's watching you. He's very aware. He's very caring. He's very gentle. And he's very kind. His eyes are on you. So the lie that comes that says no one's watching, it's not true. Jesus is watching. He's very intently concerned. So much so that he came. He gave his life for you. He rose from the dead so you can have eternal life. And then he says he is seated at the Father's making intercession for you. And God thinks about you more than the sand and the sea, it says in Psalm 139. He is watching you. It should comfort us. It should give us some hope to start another week. Jesus is seeing it all and he's caring for it all. And Romans 8 is true. One day, all wrongs will be made right for those who are in Christ. There's an old song that I used to sing all the time, which is, his eyes are on the sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven in home. We got lots of reasons why we should feel that way. There's all kinds of reasons why we are in those situations. But when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches 
me. Jesus is love. Jesus is compassion. Jesus is watching you. He's caring for you. And he's just calling you to come just keep looking at me. Keep looking at Jesus. And in Jesus, when you really look, you'll always find hope. Let's pray.